0: Talk to you about some an, an old story that you know, that um, I kind of uh, this is not original with me. I didn't make any of this up, but um, I, a little bit of a different twist on this. I, I, I got some sunglasses um, last week, and um, I've I have, I don't know if any of you who wear glasses are like this, but I've had I've had prescription sunglasses over and over and over and I lose them. I can't keep up with them, because I'll take them off, and I have to put them in somewhere, and then I have to, and I don't ever want to carry around two pairs of glasses. So anyway, I've just said, I'm not buying any more super expensive prescription sunglasses, but last week I did. So, I bought these sunglasses, and I was going to bring them and show them to you, but I forgot, but they're (laughs) kind (laughs) of, because I don't know where they are, but uh, I, I bought them, they're kind of funky, and I put them on, and the girl in the glasses place. I said, "Now, are these girl glasses?" And she says, "Oh, it doesn't matter." And I'm like, "Well, it kind of does." Um, <laughs> and she said, "No, it really doesn't matter. They're they're whatever you want them to be." And I'm like, "Okay, I like them, so I'm wearing. I think they're women's glasses, but I like them." So anyway, she she asked me, "Do I want them polarized or not?" And I thought, "Well, I probably. I don't I don't know what that even means. I've heard it before, you know, but." And so I said, yes. Well, here's the thing. Polarize, polarizing, polarization on your glasses, and y'all know kind of probably what it does, but technically what polarization does is it kind of filters out certain kinds of light, right? I mean, I, when I go to work in the morning, I turn on a street after I leave our house and drive straight east. Well, about about you know eight o'clock in the morning, the sun is right there, and and you know how that works. It, it on a if you're staring into the sun, especially if you're near the water, uh, light just light just goes to a certain place when it hits something that reflects it. It kind of travels in a very specific pattern. So when you see light come off the water. It blinds you when light is coming off the pavement or something like that you have that well polarization in your lenses filters out some of the distracting confusing bad light so that I still have some light that I can see when things are polarized but there's other light that it filters out and I can't see it now with glasses that's mostly a really good thing okay but you know if you've ever done this that when you polarize when you wear polarized glasses it doesn't just filter out the glare from the sun it filters out other things for example if you've ever tried to look at something on your phone when you're wearing polarized sunglasses polarization filters out led light and so that's why you can't usually read your phone when you're wearing polarized sunglasses, if you're pulled up in an ATM machine and tried to, you can't see the letters on the ATM because it filters those, that light out. Now, again, polarization usually is good because we put on sunglasses to drive or to be outside or whatever, but it does filter out some stuff that's not bad. What polarization does is it limits us to only seeing part of the spectrum. It wipes the rest of the spectrum out. Okay. So I want you to think about how that idea applies not just to sunglasses, but it applies to people. Because we polarize all the time. Now you know how this happens. Um, and those of you that are that are, you know, my age or older. We may we may think well we're polarized more now than we've ever been. That may be true. It may not be, right? I mean, there was a civil war at one point. That was pretty polarizing. We've done this throughout human history. We've chosen sides, and we've said you got to go this way or this way. And we do it now a lot, right? We do it in politics. We do it about social issues. We do it in Christianity. We do it in our churches. We do it with our theology we really want to be able to go to one end or the other end and define very clearly and very easily who people are. You're us or you're not us. You're in or you're out. You're sometimes good or bad. And you know that. Probably some of y'all have the experience, like I have, of being with my family, for example, at a holiday, and a topic comes up, and we don't all agree on it. And we can immediately find ourselves at odds with our brother or our sister or our parents or some or our kids about some political idea or who knows what. I, I got off of all social media about 12 or 15 years, almost as soon as I got on because I immediately found myself on Facebook having an argument with my brother about something, about a political idea. And about after about a half a day of going back and forth, I thought, "This is insane." And I shut down my Facebook and I sent a message, the last message that says, "I'm not doing this anymore because it's just a place to fight. Now I know we don't all use it for that, but a lot of us do. So we get polarized a lot of times whether we want to or not, and sometimes we polarize ourselves because, Just like polarizing our glasses, if we polarize ourselves, it means that we can kind of shut out everything on the other end of the spectrum so we can just see what we think and what we like really clearly. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes it may not be. It's certainly easy, which is why we like it. Because we don't like hard we like easy. We like to say, I am this and I am not that. And you are this and you are not this. And we draw lines and we like that. Now, I don't mean that you consciously like it and get up every morning and think, I'm going to separate myself from other people. But there's something in our brain that makes us like knowing who the sheep are and who the goats are. We like that. It's part of our brain that likes competition. It's why I liked yesterday that the Aggies, by some miracle, beat Arkansas. <laughs> there's no other <laughs> there's no other. <laughs> and there was a game on another channel that I also enjoyed. But the thing that the <laughs> I really would. anybody anybody can beat OU. That's a good thing. But I, I I like that because, and this is not a crime or a sin for sure. But I like that because there's a part of my brain that likes to be ah, a little bit better than somebody else, and likes to separate my group out from the other group. Okay, so think on that for a minute about whether separating, polarizing, although it's easy, it's simple, it kind of makes us feel good, okay, whether it's always the best thing. So here's a, here's a story that, that you know, okay? This is from John chapter 7 and chapter 8. Now Jesus has been, if you, if you go back and read the first six chapters of John, the first six or seven chapters, Jesus is going around just causing trouble, basically, right? He starts by going to a wedding and turning water into wine, okay? Uh, he's, he then goes to all these different places, and he, he, uh, he goes to the pool at Bethsaida, and there's the guy laying there on the mat, and He says, why are you laying here instead of getting in the pool? And the guy says, well, I can't get in the pool. Somebody always jumps in front of me. And Jesus says, just pick up your mat and go home. That messes everything up because picking up your mat is against the law on the Sabbath. So Jesus makes everybody mad except the guy who can now walk and the people who got ten big barrels of good wine. Uh, Everybody else is getting mad at Jesus. He also heals the Uh, the ruler's uh, son you know this is one of the coolest healings in the bible where the guy comes and says my son's dying will you come to my house to heal him and jesus says he's good just go home that's really a cool story but he's doing all this and then he goes to the temple and because it's a big festival and he stays in the temple and he teaches people and if you read some of this stuff it's confusing as it can be now we have we have lots of years of preachers and teachers telling us what stuff kind of means but if you just put yourself in this setting and you hear you stand and you listen to a guy who says um i assure you anyone who believes has eternal life i'm the bread of life your fathers ate the bread in the wilderness and they died this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that any anyone can eat it and not die i'm the living bread that came from heaven if anyone eats this bread he'll live forever the bread that i give for the life of the world is my flesh if you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood you're okay well now just put yourself there for a minute If you showed up at a rally at the courthouse and there's a guy or let's say in your church and there's a guy who's talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And that's the key to everything. We would call the police. Or we would at least walk away and say, kids, that's a crazy person. Don't listen to him. So this is what Jesus is doing. The first seven chapters of John he's stirring things up honestly i can read this and i you know i've been to sunday school all my life i still i've been to seminary i still don't quite get all of that and what that means to us but he's bothering everyone so in chapter 7 chapter 7 the the pharisees who are always the people that are most irritated because they're in control of everything and jesus is taking control away the pharisees come to the police or the police come to the pharisees and the pharisees say to the police why didn't you bring this man jesus to us the police say nobody ever talked like this before the police are confused they're like i don't know i don't know we don't know what to do with this guy pharisees say are you fooled by this guy have any of the rulers or pharisees believed in him this crowd they're cursed they're crazy they've been misled Nicodemus, the one who came to him, came to Jesus previously, being a Pharisee, said to them, our law doesn't judge a man before it hears from him and knows what he's doing, does it? And then they look at him and they say, you're not from Galilee, are you? Are you one of them? Then they all leave and go home. Jesus goes up to the Mount of Olives. The next morning, Jesus comes back down to the temple area and he sits down in the temple and people gather around him and he starts teaching now while he's teaching says scribes and the pharisees brought a woman to him who was caught in adultery and they made her stand in the center okay they form a circle they give her to jesus and they stand around teacher this woman was caught in the act of adultery in the law moses commanded us to stone such women what do you say They asked this to trap him so that they might have evidence to accuse him. Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. When they persisted in questioning, he stood up and said, the one of you that's without sin should be the first one to throw a stone at her. Then he bent over and he started writing on the ground again. When they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. When only he was left with the woman in the center, he said, where are they? Who's condemning you? And she says, no one. And he says, neither do I. Going from now on don't sin anymore. Now, I'm sure you all know that story. <clears throat> Two or three things that I think are kind of interesting here. First of all, they try to trap Jesus by trying to make him choose one thing or another. Right? They, come, they know that the Mosaic Law says you should stone someone who's an adulterer. And so they bring this woman and they say, she's an adulterer. Here's what Moses says. But they know that Jesus has been going around preaching something that's a little bit different than Mosaic law. Jesus has been preaching forgiveness and salvation and wiping the slate clean for everyone. And so they think we're going to get him because if he goes with easy on the woman, she's okay. Don't worry about adultery. Then he's violating Mosaic law. If he says let's stone the woman then he's in trouble because only the government could decide to execute someone and then he's breaking civil law so they think they've put him in this mess now jesus does of course a brilliant ridiculously unusual thing what he doesn't do is go with the pharisees he doesn't swing to this side He also doesn't really go with the woman. He doesn't swing over to the totally liberal side and say, oh, don't worry about adultery. We don't care. She's fine. He doesn't polarize. He refuses to polarize. The other thing that Jesus doesn't do, which is the thing that most of us would think about doing in some of these situations, is that he doesn't compromise. He doesn't try to find a place down the middle either. He doesn't say, let's talk about this. Really, how important is adultery in the grand scheme of things? And, and wh- woman, what are you willing to do to kind of show your contrition and make up for your sin? And He doesn't do that. He, he messes up everybody's plan by picking another option. And the option that he picks, they haven't thought of before. The option that Jesus picks is to say, well, first of all, he writes in the dirt, which is uh, nobody knows. That's one of the mysteries, right? A lot of us think if we ever see Jesus, and what did you write in the dirt? What was that? Because nobody knows. Some people think that he wrote words that were maybe, maybe sent a message. Maybe he wrote sin in big letters And a question mark. Maybe he wrote grace in big letters. So he writes in the sand and then he says, any of you guys that don't have any sin, you go ahead and throw the rock. That's all he does. And one by one, I think this is kind of interesting. Starting with the oldest men, they begin to wander off. Maybe the old ones were mellow, had mellowed out a little bit, weren't so fervent. Maybe they were a little bit more wise than the younger ones. And as soon as Jesus said this, they went, oh. Maybe they had so many more years of sin in their life that they were more convicted. But they, they, they disappear. Now, Jesus does a couple of interesting things here. One is he doesn't choose the law. And he doesn't choose total anarchy, no law, no rules, no nothing. And he doesn't choose the middle. He says, here's a third way. Not that way, not this way. How about this way? Anybody who didn't have sin, go ahead and stone her. Jesus chooses a way that's built around the idea of love. Not just love for the woman, though. Love for both of them. Because think about this. If Jesus says to the Pharisees, Moses says, you got to kill her. He puts these men in a position of having to pick up stones and murder this woman. Now, even though there are Pharisees and all throughout the New Testament, we've learned if you grow up in church to hate the Pharisees, they were the bad guys. They were us. They were church people. So if we, and, and here's the thing remember, they were trying to trap Jesus. They didn't really want to stone the woman. They were all probably way too gutless to actually stone the woman. They were trying to get Jesus. So Jesus saves the woman from their wrath, but he also saves them from their own wrath. He says, You don't really want to stone her, do you? Because you know that you're just as sinful as she is. And then he says to the woman, nobody's accusing you. But then he says, go home and don't do this anymore. He doesn't totally let her off the hook. He says, do not behave this way anymore. Sin no more. Here's the idea that, that, that I think is important. Jesus picks a different way because in this story, he thinks so differently than we do. When we're in that situation, most of us, me, I think, what's the right way to go? Do I go this way? or Do I go this way? And being right becomes super important to me. You can ask Glory. I love to be right. It's one of my favorite things. I don't know if any of y'all that are that are made remember watching Happy Days and remember the Fonz the, I can still remember the episode where Fonzie had to admit that he was wrong and he could not make the word come out of his mouth and, he's, and in the show he says I was and he can't do it that's kind of how I am um, right feels so good And wrong feels bad. I like right. Jesus doesn't care about right. Now, that sounds weird, but stay with me. In this situation, Jesus doesn't care about winning the right or wrong argument. Jesus loves both sides. And I can imagine Jesus, first of all, I think what he wrote in the ground was probably... Who are these idiots? That's what I think. I think Jesus is probably constantly thinking, these people are so stupid. I mean, that's probably a sin, so he probably didn't do that. But if I was Jesus, I'd be thinking, dear God, what am I supposed to do with these people? They don't get it. But he, I can see Jesus thinking, she's in trouble, but so are they. And I'm not going to pick a side. I'm going to say, Here's the idea. I love both of you. Now, Jesus does that not because he's smarter than the rest of us, which he probably was, not because he's ethically superior. He does that because he doesn't have much of a choice because his essence, his defining characteristic is love. We like to win. We like to be right. We want to win the argument. Do you ever like to lose an argument? No, it's horrible. We want to win the argument. And that's what these Pharisees, they want to win so bad. And Jesus is like, winning is not the idea. The idea is that I love you both. Because he can't do anything else. Because his very essence is love and first john he says twice within like seven verses god is love now he says god loves us god loved us this much we know the love that god has for us he does all this stuff john john just goes on and on and on and on about god's love But there are two places where he doesn't say God loves. He says, because God is love. It's the defining characteristic of our God. The defining characteristic. So Jesus can't necessarily pick a good or a bad or a right or a wrong or I'm with you and I'm not with you in this situation because he sees two ends of the spectrum both of them missing the point both of them needing love it's his defining characteristic so maybe it should be mine and maybe it should be ours maybe winning is not the thing maybe defeating my brother or my sister or my friends, or the enemy. You know, Jesus doesn't pick humans and label them as the enemy. Jesus never demonizes persons. He doesn't ever dehumanize persons. You know that that's what we do to each other now. We demonize people that are on the other side of anything from us. Jesus refuses to do that. He won't demonize the woman. He won't dehumanize her. And he won't put the Pharisees in a position of becoming dehumanized either. Love is his defining characteristic. So Maybe it should be mine. So let's pray. We'll be done. God, we thank you for time to think on your word. We thank you for... That notion, even, that you are love. We feel your love, we want your love, we ask for your love, we know your love, but that idea that you are love is world-changing. And I thank you for that. And I thank you for a chance to be here and be in fellowship. Help us to be your people, in Jesus' name.